Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. I'm Brad Wilson. Welcome again to another Loving the Christ Life. We are in the midst of a wonderful series by Warren Litzman called Out of Law into Grace, one of the more important series that you will ever hear, and no one does it better than Warren Litzman. So this will be the third in this complete series, and let's go ahead and join Warren Litzman right now. Take your Bible, if you will, and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. I have chosen as a theme to talk to you about this weekend that I'll call the first steps into grace. Now you have to be careful in your walk because this is the biggest step you'll ever take in your life. The absolute biggest step, <coughs> step you could ever take in your life is into grace. I'm not exaggerating or trying to get your attention by that. I'm telling you the most bona fide fact in the whole of the scriptures that the greatest step you'll ever take in your life is into grace. The reason why is that you can come to know God. You can uh, be saved. You can be full of the Holy Ghost. You can operate 12 gifts of the Spirit. You can, you can do impossible things and still not be in grace. You can spend a lifetime listening to faith ministries, charismatic ministries, Baptist teaching, Jehovah Witness, you can do everything they ask you to do, but they never ask you to take the first great step necessary into grace. The one who knows most about that is the Apostle Paul. And what I do on this weekend is consult with Paul. I go to what he says and we'll stick with scriptures that will help us. The reason why it's such a big step for you to take is because you could get all those other things as a free gift. They were all guineas. Freebies. You didn't have to do anything to be saved. Of course, in law, you had to get right attached to the church. But they were all free. Now, grace is more free than anything, so don't mistake my statement. But coming into all of these freebies, you can, you can be saved, you can be full of the Holy Ghost, you can have all the gifts, you can be a great worker and servant of God. But the thing you won't have is the change of mind. That doesn't come free. When anybody gets saved, there is no radical change in the mind. There is no salvation for the mind. Let's take it a step further. Your soulish part is made up of mind, will, and emotion. 
there is no change in any of those when you accept Jesus as your Savior. God does not deal with the soulish part of the human being. You are made up of body, soul, and a spirit. All God deals with when you're saved is your spirit. Now that's kind of hard on us because you know that the Old Testament has hundreds of occasions where it deals with mercy and even uses the word grace. But it is not the same. The Old Testament, therefore, became a soulish book. There was no spirit salvation. Can you understand that? There is no spirit salvation in the Old Testament. They didn't know what it was to have Christ joined to their spirit. They had no understanding of a spirit being saved, though the term is the words are used, but they, there is no teaching or understanding of it from anybody in the Old Testament because God was not ready to release that information at the time. So when you got saved, Christ was joined to your spirit and the rest of you stayed the same. I can remember when I was in the healing ministry, we got all worked up over a little Greek word called Susa. And they begin to teach that everybody that gets saved is going to get healed too. Sousa had to do with healing. Good message. Everybody shouted and hollered, but it never took place. Couldn't take place. <laughs> Couldn't take place. God may heal somebody when they get saved. He can do anything. But that's not a doctrine. That's not something that, that the scripture specializes in. If it was, we'd all be in good shape. Wouldn't that be wonderful if every, every one of us was saved, was never sick again? But you know what? If it was like that, not a one of you would love God enough. So salvation in the Old Testament is soulish. There God dealt with mind, will, and emotions, but never the exchange of the mind. What could make a man chosen after God's own heart greater by God's description than any other man of his day? What could make him be one of the greatest sinners after many years of serving God? That's David the psalmist. What could make him become as great a sinner as you can be? Adultery, murder, thievery what could make him do that you say well anybody really saved wouldn't do that I hear people say that well that guy wouldn't do that if he was really saved you got to be careful you got to know where salvation is you got to understand it they had no change in their spirit you have been greatly blessed by what Jesus did at the cross because it gave God the opportunity to share His Spirit with you. I don't mean the Holy Spirit. That He gives to another subject. But God's Spirit. It gave us the possibility of becoming partakers of God's nature. That's what nobody had in the Old Testament. Enoch walked with God and God took him. Maybe he got close to this thing. God said, I'm not ready for it, so come on home. 
I don't know. But what happened to you when you got saved was that you were perfectly saved. You understand that? Salvation in your spirit is the only place there is perfect salvation. How can I say that? Romans 5 and 10. Christ is our salvation. You get it? He doesn't give salvation. He didn't die to give us a free gift. God gave him to us as a new life. See, that's entirely different. That requires a whole different understanding of this book. So when we talk about not being Old Testament saints or not going to the Old Testament, that's really what we have in mind. We know that the life God bought and paid for at Calvary is not explained in any area of the Old Testament like it is when Jesus gave the revelations to the Apostle Paul that salvation is a person and everybody that's saved receives that person joined to their spirit. 1 Corinthians 6 and 17. Joined. He's joined to my spirit and I have taken on the nature of God. That's the difference. So if you ever say you don't read the Old Testament much anymore, that's okay spirit-wise because there's nothing there that will help a born-again person other than morals, good ethics, obeying man's law. That's what the Old Testament is made up. But being a birth child of God, you won't find anything about it there. And it, that's why Paul stands out and why when you say those things you need to go into a long discourse. And if you can't do that yourself, buy one of my books. <laughs> Give that to somebody because that's what's necessary. We are in an area that God planned before the world was created. We'll settle that a little later. So, what is ranked in our understanding is that when you got saved, God never dealt with your spirit again, per se. That's where your salvation is. That's where Christ is, in your spirit. So why didn't he deal with the rest of it? Didn't God want to see our soul saved? We've all been taught that the saving of the soul will get you to heaven. That's not it at all. That doesn't have anything to do with it. We'll go into that scripture, I think, a little later. God didn't touch the soul because he wanted you to understand this Christ lived in you and for you to take the part of yourself that you identify as being the real you and give it to Christ. What is that part of your soul that's hardest for you to give? The mind. The mind. That's why we have all these scriptures from Paul, let this mind be in you, but you have available the mind of Christ. He's not telling you how to get saved. 
getting saved was simply believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Living the Christian life requires that you take this mind of yours and give it to the Christ that is in you. Because the only way he can get out of you is through your mind. Now what happened to us in religion, we concentrated on the other two parts of the soul. You'll find a great number of books written on believers doing the will of God. That's a major theme among people. You do the will of God, you'll be blessed. But that doesn't equal the mind. And then, of course, the number one thing that people took to was the emotion. Most people only go to a place where there's great emotion now because they've no intention of giving up who they are. <laughs> and when you see all these people highly emotional, you'll see all of them as, I, as people who are different. You ever watch them, watch them on television sometimes? And I see these people. And you can't praise God and worship God. And you need to do it the way you are. But what you notice is no two are alike. See? I grew up in a church where there was an elder man sitting there. And almost every line the preacher would say that uh, hit him, he would say, sad but true. <laughs> sad but true. And as a, as a kid growing up in that church, that always stuck with me. Nobody else did that. He is the only one. Somebody said, well, he's just crazy. No, that's who he is. That was who he was. So I see people dancing in the spirit or praising the Lord or shuffling around doing something. They all do it different. You know why? We are different. But you can give an emotion to the Holy Spirit and never give a mind. That is, I feel real good. I feel so good today. In true Christianity to God, it doesn't matter at all how you feel. Because you're going to have bad days and good days, but what about them? The real life called Christ in you never changes. He goes through it all. I'll be with you. I'll never forsake you. I'll never leave you alone. He's always there working. That's Christ. That's where he is in you. When you say Christ is in you, he's in your spirit. He's been joined to your spirit. Well, what does that say? Your spirit is the real you then. So what is this soulish thing over here that's Makes where every one of us are different. What is that? That's where stupidity lives. <laughs> That's why some believers are going to go through life and maintain the way they did it was a God thing and never give a mind to it. They'll, they'll always be seeking the will of God they won't buy a Hershey bar unless it's God's will. <laughs> and they won't go to a meeting that doesn't rev them up. But they'll never give the mind away. And that's why Paul's epistles, 
work on the mind more than any other place in the scriptures. Jesus of Nazareth never did that because he never got down to the place where he would live in believers. He'd talk about believers being joined to them, about them being branches and he being the vine, but he'd never get to that point because it wasn't time yet. First, it took a Calvary. Second, it took a man to give it. And since I said it like that, always remember, when you talk about Paul, you're talking about only the second man God ever raised up to be so used to bring us truth. The first one was Moses. And four-fifths of the Bible has Moses' doctrine in it. Law. Only one-fifth of the scriptures is left that was given to Paul to tell born-again believers how to live. I'm dropping all these things in, though many of you already know it, because when you leave yourself open and leave, you give me a chance to talk about it. Ephesians chapter 2 will give us important facts about our first step. Back to what I originally was dealing with. And that was the hard place a person is in to take a step into grace. That first step. You say, well, it's just a matter of what you believe, isn't it? And I was Baptists said, throw this at us. Well, grace is just something you Baptists believe. They don't believe you can sin anymore. You're all saved and you're going to go to heaven even if you're sinners. Once in grace, always in grace. They'd always throw that out. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about in grace. That first step has a whole lot more to do with it than you can imagine. And so my first point was, it's an exchange in the mind. Everything in your soulish part is controlled by you. I'm always having somebody say, well, if we're, Christ lives in us, what is left for us to do? You've got a soul of mind, will, and emotions to deal with. And you're going to be dealing with them until your last breath. And you'll never get something solved there then why didn't God give us salvation in our soul? Because he wanted you to love him more than you loved yourself. And self is resident in the soul. Why didn't he do something? Why didn't he make it easy? I think of these Bible scholars. I, I read after them. And I say, boy, he's right there at the point. Why didn't he go on? Didn't he understand what that said? What that meant? What's wrong with him? He should go to the next verse and he'd get an answer on that. What was wrong? They had no foundation for taking the step into grace. And yet they probably were great grace teachers. 
Because grace is not you getting saved by God favoring you more than you could imagine. Grace has to do with this new life in Christ. If you, if you don't live it by grace, Christ doesn't participate because Christ does not re-enter the law that he dissolved at the cross. You get it? Jesus is not involved in the law that stopped in his death. You say, well, what about all these people under the law that get blessings? That's grace. And they don't know it. They think it's their faith. They think it's their holiness. I've known holiness people who because they lived holy were certain God would take care of them especially and when he didn't, they were mad because they had nothing else to lean on but their own works. Keep all that in the mind. So the first step is dealing with the way you think, with what's in your mind. That God wants you to give him as a free gift. No strings attached. Give it to him. Give him that mind. Give him your emotions. The will of God becomes a workable, everyday walk when you give God the mind. It just works. In Ephesians 2, I want to begin at verse 11. And I could go anywhere in the scriptures and I could deal with all of them and get the same message. But I picked out the ones that I thought were important for us at this time. Verse 11 in Ephesians 2 says, For we are his, no, wherefore remember that you being in time past Gentiles. I'd underline two words in that verse if, if, if you want to remember them. It's the word remember and the word Gentile. Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles. What does Paul do here? He goes right into the subject I've been on. Get this in your mind. You've been taught this before. Remember it. What is he doing? He's talking about the love affair. The love affair is not in emotions as much as it is mind. The love affair with God is not in you doing His will. Because I... in. Some messages where I lay a proper foundation tell you it don't matter to God what you do. If you do good, it's good. If you do bad, it's good because he's going to be working through either one of them. It's just that you have decided a hard way to do it. But it doesn't matter. That doesn't matter to God. What matters is your mind, the way you think. So he said, remember, he goes right to the mind in this verse. Remember. Remember what? That you're a Gentile. That you were a Gentile. That in time past you were a Gentile. Why is that? Because Paul's message basically goes to Gentiles, not Jews. The message is for the Jew, but it's not to the Jew. You understand the difference there? The Jews cease to be Jews if they accept Jesus as their personal Savior. Three times Paul said, 
In more than one line, Paul said it three times, that in Christ there are no Jews. Well, this says, in time past we were Gentiles. So that means when you got saved, you were no longer a Gentile. But that's a subject we need to deal with uh, considerably today. Because nobody is who they were when they accept Christ. They become a new creature. You understand it? Negroes are no longer Negroes. Germans are no longer German. You've heard this before. In Christ, it's a new race of people. We've never accepted that. We've got all these ethnic groups trying to carve out a place for them to be special. And that's what's tearing us up right now. Tearing us up. If I could meet, uh, what's his name, Jeremiah Wright. If I could meet him, I could tell him that you don't need to protect your race because they no longer exist to God once you're saved. You understand that? If you're saved, if you're a Christian, that's why I'm all strung up on this subject now that America doesn't know what a Christian is. The loudest voices are saying something else and it's, it's, we don't know what a Christian is. We don't understand that. I'm no longer German, even if my wife accuses me of that. <laughs> Soulishly. You understand what I'm saying? In time past, you were a Gentile. Even Abraham. Right. You're right. Even Abraham. So you were Gentiles in the flesh. We're in verse 11. Ephesians 2. Who are called uncircumcision, but that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands. What he does here then is leave those two powerful points in the first part of the verse and in the latter part starts talking about circumcision and uncircumcision and what's really the message there is self-effort versus no effort on our part. So the first real hard step in the grace, a big step, is that we no longer deal with circumcision or self-effort to please God. If you took that away from many bona fide, old age, perfect believers in religion, they'd sink because it is what they do, what they have done that has made them who they are. Are you following me now? I'm talking about the mind also. That you can get it fixed in your mind that what you do, how you do it, is who you are. As if you had never been rebirthed. So what happens to 90% of the Christians is that they continue under law that says you better do these things or you'll not be who you're supposed to be. We dealt with that last night somewhat. 
self-effort. Now that brings up the bigger question. While that's a big step for people to take, to set that aside, and you're going to get that in every message I bring this weekend, one way or another. We have come to a place that we think if we don't do it, it won't get done. Our pride has carried us to a place that God no longer is anchored to what He did and to who He is. He now is anchored to church buildings and preachers and doctors. He's anchored to them. And so He doesn't care what your doctrine is. He doesn't care about your building. I'm glad for that. We don't have a big building here. He doesn't care about what you've done or don't do. His greatest interest is how do you qualify for what it is I have made possible through grace. Because none of it has come about by human ability. Circumcision that Paul mentions here, and he's talking to uh, a bunch of Jews who some of them followed Christ probably, but some of them never took the step into the Christ life. Now they use Christ. Don't mistake these early churches. The early churches were not necessarily grace churches. In fact, far from it in most occasions. The early church, we call it in the scriptures. It was a church that still depended upon Moses' law in many instances. They depended upon you keeping the sacrament and the holidays, and the whole bit that goes with Moses' law. Why? Because soulishly that makes you feel good. You can't imagine how many Christian people have come to me who heard this message one way or another and said, well, you know, I just can't leave the emotion of my religion. It bothered me at first. What did they mean by that? They meant this kind of religion where they have this sanctimonious thing in fact, one fellow explained it to me. He said, where I go to church, the priest comes in carrying the big book in his hand. He walks down the aisle in his big flowing robes, and I love to see that. The Word of God right in his hand. And he said behind him come three or four uh, assistant priests, and they're all carrying crosses. And behind them comes the choir, and they're all carrying lighted candles. He said, that just makes goosebumps go up and down my spine. I just love to see it. That's circumcision. Those are the things you do or somebody else does to make you feel good. Now, you're probably going to say, are you against all that? No. In fact, it don't matter to me one way or another. But I'm telling you what circumcision was in this verse. Circumcision was what you do. And the Jews never let go of Paul because he started out preaching his revelation which we're saved by grace and nothing else. And that irked the Jews, many of them who followed Jesus and many of them who still preached the death of Jesus Christ but never quit circumcision. And you know, Paul got caught in the web of it with one of his young disciples one time and let him go be circumcised up at Jerusalem. And he repented of that, Paul did, in his own words. You see what an invasive thing it is? It is so powerful, this business of what you do is law. It's law. It's really law. It's not being circumcised. I used to have a, a teacher in our Bible college uh, here in Dallas. 
who had a hangover from, uh, from circumcision, she said, in the truth, I believe everything would be better if all men were circumcised. And that meant that grown men would have to have an operation in order to know Jesus. It, if it was that simple, I, I would preach it. <laughs> Even though it would lay a man aside for a few days. But let me tell you, Paul would not allow circumcision or uncircumcision to matter. And in other places, he brings that forth about self-effort. My point now is that people in law don't want to give up self-effort because they bruise their nose and work their fingers to the bone trying to keep the law that backed up their self-effort. They did their best. And now then, they don't want it all to be for nothing. Somebody like me come along and say, I don't think it matters to God. So just in case you get lost in what I say, what matters to God is whether you love God more than you love yourself. That's how simple it is. That's what matters. And so whatever you do as a self and the hope that you're going to love God won't matter. But if everything you do is a Christ thing, if you bake a cake and send it to the elderly lady next door thinking now if I do this, God will bless me, that's circumcision. If on the other hand you say, I love that dear lady next door and I'd just like to do something nice for her. That's uncircumcision. But neither one of them are necessary to God. Just go ahead and do it. Do it. Take the cake over there. Love her. Make her one with you. But you don't have to do that. If you want to do it, that's good. If you think God has to bless you because you did it, that's bad. Well, we hate to do this, but we're going to have to stop right now. But the good news is we'll pick up next week right where we left off on this wonderful, wonderful message from Warren Litzman about out of law and into grace. Don't forget to visit our website, christ-life.org. Read all about the Christ life and all about us. And don't forget to go to that bookstore where you can find wonderful material left by Warren Litzman and these wonderful messages in books, tapes, videos, all there at our bookstore, christ-life.org. Robbie Litzman, our thanks to you for allowing us to go into the archives each week to bring these wonderful messages from Warren. Also, we want to thank Valerie Hill, who does our Twitter account each week. Tammy Laycock does our weekly podcast notes. And this program is produced weekly by the wonderful Teresa Ferraro from the Christ Life Fellowship. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ life.